Thanks for listening to Pep Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, there's one way you can really help us out, and that's by going to your podcast provider, whether that's the iTunes Store or Google Play or Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts from, and uh, rating the show. And if your podcast provider gives you the opportunity, also leaving a, a brief review, because that helps other people find Pep Talk and get plugged into all the great resources that we have here for you. Thank you so much. And welcome to Pep Talk. I'm Christy Mayer and I'm joined by the wonderful Andy Bannister. Andy, hi, how are you doing today? I am. I'm doing well, Christy. I am doing well. Energy, energy levels up, caffeine levels up. There's no correlation, I'm sure. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. And we're joined today by um, our wonderful guest, Chris Sinkinson. Chris, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Well, thank you so much for your for your time. I mean, you you spend most of your time, I, I believe, um, as a lecturer in theology at Morelands College. Is that right? That's right. That that's what I do through most of the week. Uh, so Morelands College down on the south coast, and uh, you know we we have a pretty busy program. Some people think we have long vacations, but I can assure you that a term is uh, very full and very packed. Lies. I know. I can absolutely relate to that. But, um, but you've worn a number of hats, though, um, haven't you, Chris? Um, you've come through UCCF. You've done so many things. Please, like, would you share with us a, um, a bit of a potted kind of tour as to where you've come from and how that's shaped what you're doing now? Right. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I became a Christian uh, through college, uh, a college Christian union. And then at university, uh, I, I was only a very, very young Christian when I started at university. So just a few months, literally. So it was all kind of new to me. And uh, I was studying archaeology. And then I actually changed subjects. I didn't complete an archaeology degree. I ended up completing a degree in philosophy. And uh, all of that was because, you know, my interest really was in ideas and people. And uh, I've still got an interest in archaeology. But that interest in people obviously connects very well with uh, evangelism, wanting to share our faith, wanting to talk to people, to be honest. And, and so it was quite a natural step for me to, to go from uh, being a student, being involved in the Christian Union at Southampton and uh, uh, later at Bristol, and, and then working with UCCF in the southwest of England uh, in, in the University and Colleges Christian Fellowship. So I went from there to working uh, in uh, church ministry. So I was involved as pastor of a couple of different churches before I finally, well, not finally, hopefully, because this isn't the end of the story, I hope. But at the moment, I've ended up uh, teaching in a Bible college setting. Mm. Now, the uh, I mean, there's so many bits of your of your bio and your story fascinate me, Chris. But the one that really fascinates me is the kind of the, sort of the Indiana Jones routine kind of sort of going on in fact actually it's appropriate right because anyone who knows the south coast there you are down on the south coast you've got the jurassic coast which is you know full of old fossils uh, and i won't do any good (laughs) no there was no link don't don't try and put words in my mouth i could see where christy was going uh, but there you are and uh, what i'm most concerned about there what i'm most concerned about is we're going to confuse paleontology with archaeology no 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 I know. I, I, it was a terrible link. It was absolutely. T- I know it was a terrible link, but I, I had to just. Uh, I, it was the only one that occurred. But yes, but digging things out of the ground. Um, thank you for everyone listening at home. Going, there's a reason Bennis is a philosopher because he knows nothing about anything else. But um, Chris, why does digging stuff up? Why does history and 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 the past archaeology, not dinosaurs? Why does what drew you into that, and why are you excited about it? Because that's not accidental 
to the way that you share your faith and, and go about, you know, presenting Christ persuasively. So what's the link for people who've never thought that archaeology was a thing that Christians would be excited in about? Yeah, great. I, I mean, I like the way that that poses the question, because you're absolutely right. I do find there's a natural way of sharing my faith because of the interest in archaeology. But what I would want to be honest about is I've always loved archaeology. I mean, I, I go back to when I was a child. I used to love that kind of thing. Uh, I used to love finding old things and trying to understand where they'd come from. And uh, hey, you mentioned Indiana Jones. When that big movie Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, I, I was a little boy in shorts, uh, just absolutely bowled over uh, by Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, so, so my interest in archaeology was not uh, you know, subsequent to becoming a Christian, it, it had already been kind of in my blood. And, and when I became a Christian, one of the things that stood out to me right from the beginning is the Bible is a historical text. I mean, it's other things as well. And when I share my faith, I might want to talk about other aspects of what the Bible is as scripture. But even laying that aside, the Bible is historical text it's a historical document uh, and, and therefore the connection to archaeology is you know really apparent because if you love the bible you really do need to love seems to me uh, history and our understanding of the ancient world so i find you know the world of archaeology is is a great one for showing my faith because uh, the the early archaeologists you know i mean this is a historical fact the early archaeologists cut their teeth in the Holy Land, what we call the Holy Land, uh, you, you name them, the, the pioneers of archaeology, Henry Austin Layard, uh, Flinders Petrie, Kathleen Kenyon. These are big names in the world of archaeology, and they learn their, their trade, if you like, in the Holy Land, in the region of the Bible events. And so that kind of connection seems to me to be very, very close and means that even with secular folk who may say they have no interest in faith or miracles or God, they can be talking about the, the land of, of the, the biblical events, you know, the cities of Jericho and Hatsor and Jerusalem, right at the heart of our, our understanding of the ancient world. Chris, I am, um, when I was just 18 years old, my first uh, work experience placement was uh, with the archaeology department in, in Thermiston in Leicester. And I was just like, oh, I just really, this is what I really want to do. I want to go to Egypt. I want to learn all about the, all these things. And I just find this utterly fascinating. Like, thank you so much for investing your time and wisdom in this. As a, as a Christian, what does it look like um, for you to... I like to talk to non-Christians. I guess, you know, it's not the easiest thing to kind of bring up um, in conversation, like talk, looking at some of these um, archaeological um, historical facts or how, how do you even go about, you know, introducing it in a conversation? What, how does this help you um, communicate your faith? Well, one of the things I've noticed, and, and I mean, Christy, this applies very, very generally. One of the things I've noticed is that when somebody has a real passion for something, a real interest in something, they can actually awaken an enthusiasm for the topic with anyone else they talk to. You know, they may have an absolute obsession with 1980s Ford Capris. And you think, I don't know. know. (laughs) Well, once you start meeting an enthusiast who talks about these things, you can catch some of that enthusiasm and think, wow, I've never thought about that before. And, And actually finding those things that we're really passionate about, connecting them, and everything does connect with the, the God of the Bible. You know, one way or another, all truth is God's truth. So one way or another, there is a route to the God of the Bible. Sometimes it's it's a simpler route, I think, than other times. But that passion we have in the things that really interest us. I often say to students, you know, rather than trying to um, 
have a very superficial knowledge of lots of things. Find that thing that really interests you, you know, whether it's the, I don't know, the films of Terence Malick or uh, uh, the literature of Tolkien or whatever it might be. That thing that really interests you, immerse yourself in it. Make those connections in terms of your personal faith. You know, why do these things matter? What, why does it connect with that longing deep inside of us? And then see how it goes in conversation, because, you know, it, it's wonderful how so many different areas of life can open up the opportunity to share our faith. I, I got a lot of this, Christy, actually, it, it, when I became a Christian. I, I was studying philosophy, I said, and uh, I love philosophy. But at Southampton University, one of the things I struggled with is I couldn't find Christians talking about the philosophers, like at that time, anyway, uh, David Hume and, and, and so on, until I discovered that just up the road, there was a place called the Labrie Fellowship. Okay. And Labrie was founded by Francis Schaeffer. Now, once I got hold of the works of Francis Schaeffer and met some of the folk at Labrie, it really opened my eyes to the way in which he was a missionary, Francis Schaeffer. You know, he was a, an evangelist on the mission field who instinctively loved people, loved ideas, loved understanding culture and it really comes through we can fault Francis Schaeffer actually for a lot of the topics he wrote on uh, there are lots of areas where maybe he wasn't quite right in his understanding but I think the passion of Schaeffer to understand people and understand culture overwhelms all of that and that really sparked in me what I, what I met in Schaeffer in his work I never met him as a person uh, but what I met in his work really sparked in me that sense that Actually, any area of life can become an opportunity to share our faith and uh, build a bridge, really, for the gospel. I, I, that's, that's hugely helpful advice, Chris. That reminds me that we had a you know not so not so long ago on on Pep Talk, we had Dan Strange. And for folks, I think you want to you know get their head around how to connect your you know the ideas and things you're passionate about to to culture, as well as listening to this show with Chris. You know, do listen to the episode with, with with Dan where we talk about plugged in his book on that because I think I think you're absolutely right. So often we try and you know sort of cultivate an interest in the area that, that's not ours, but just find the things you're passionate about and find those connections. So for archaeology, um, you know, I suppose what are you know what are the connections? You're obviously really excited about it. You know, for someone who's listening to this who never really thought about it, you know, how would you communicate some of that enthusiasm? What are some of the things that get you excited as a Christian about it that perhaps have some gospel? connections as you unpack them yeah well well, the big picture thing here is that for all the other things we might say about the bible the bible is rooted in real time and real space so it's to do with real geography real people and real places and we can demonstrate that and archaeology has demonstrated that now we could talk about areas of debate and and this is a bit of the area of like a a glass half full glass half empty kind of conversation we get into because there are there are some debatable areas there's there's the glass half full bit where we can have the debate but the glass half full emphasizes that there is such a wealth of material in the bible that fits with what we know of the ancient world. Uh, in some areas, in fact, the Bible has recorded things from the ancient world that were lost to history and have since been rediscovered. Uh, so, uh, for example, an area that I'm interested in, there's a particular uh, excavation I've been involved in for a few years, which is the discovery of not just one lost city from the ancient world, but two lost cities. Uh, they're buried one one below the other. In fact, there's actually probably about four or five settlement levels, each uh, you know uh, one built on top of the other, and and they turn out to be almost certainly the New Testament town of Bethsaida, 
uh, which we re- read about in the Gospels, very significant town in the Gospels, which until the 1980s, no one had a clue where it was. Well, they had a clue, but no one knew where Bethsaida was. Uh, in fact, some critics said the Gospel writers were just confused. They were confusing Bethsaida and they were confused about the Galilee because they didn't understand the geography of the first century. That's been overturned now. In fact, there are two locations quite close to each other, which are probably associated with the Bethsaida of the New Testament. So since the 1980s, 1990s, we can be absolutely sure that the historical writers of the Gospels were aware of real history and real places when they talk about the town of Bethsaida. We know a lot about that town now, actually. And digging down below, which is the area I've been interested in, is a much earlier city, And this is the city of Geshur, almost certainly. It's the capital city of the people of Geshur. Now, you may not have heard of the Geshurites and the people of Geshur, but the Bible refers to them thousands of years ago at the time of King David. And this this people of Geshur, we knew nothing about until the 1990s. We were really in the dark in terms of the archaeology. We knew about them from the Bible. We knew next to nothing about them outside of the Bible. But now we know a great deal about them. Because the archaeology has shown not only the existence of a a major town for a particular region at the time of David, but also its culture, its religious life, its architecture. So we actually know a lot about the Geshurites now. All of these things I'm telling you are really only from the last few years. The last couple of decades at most, these have emerged. And that's part of the fruit of archaeology. Now, that's a very specific example, Andy. So obviously, you know, that's drilling down into one particular one. But we could multiply that with evidence upon evidence where the Bible speaks of the ancient world and discloses information that we can confirm with the use of a trowel or the use of a spade. It's just um, utterly fascinating here, hearing about this, Chris, because it, it just adds another a layer of, I mean, you know, Christ is already credible, but it adds, adds another kind of, there's a rich texture to our, to our mm. faith. And I think particularly, you know, maybe for listeners hearing this who um, have never visited like those, those particular locations and, and maybe never will, you know, just being reminded that these are real people, real times, real places that, that have existed it is just wonderfully encouraging how what do you think it might look like for a for a non-specialist so just like for the average person who's hearing what you've just said and they're thinking wow this sounds amazing um, but how on earth would I go about talking about this as a uh, as a non kind of archaeologist um, with someone else uh, with my friends or family uh, what kind of yeah advice would you give them yeah. And I mean, part of my, my problem is that I uh, obviously in terms of specialism, uh, I, I tend to get so um, excited about the details. There's lots of details I want to share. And I think my general advice would be, OK, don't worry too much about the details. Look at the, the sort of headlines here that we're talking about. Keep the headlines in mind. So, for example, this is, this is one headline kind of a piece of information to keep in mind. Many of our non-Christian friends will have been uh, sold the myth that the Bible uh, records information that has no historical backing. So in other words, it's fairy tale. Uh, it's, it's the world of legend. Now, the headline is that archaeology over the last few years is able to confirm from the ancient world the historicity of at least 53 individuals in the Old Testament. So we're not even talking about the New Testament, which is a different story, but 53 from the Old Testament. Now, those are those are characters that we know about that they, we, they're mentioned in the Old Testament, but we know about them from 
extra biblical, you know, outside of the Bible, archaeological material evidence from the ancient world. So we've got statues or signet rings or clay stamps or inscribed pottery, which will have the names of those individuals. Now, 53 and counting, by the way, because originally when the um, Biblical Archaeology Review published a, a peer-reviewed article on this, it, it recorded 50 names. And then within four years, it had to release an updated article because there were another three. And, and that number does grow. There's a few other names as well, which um, aren't absolutely certain. I mean, we've got a, a, a seal with the name of Isaiah the prophet. We have one uh, with Jezebel, a stone with Jezebel. We can't be absolutely sure that those are authentic or belong to the right the, the personalities in the Bible. They may just be the same names. So the 53 are the are firm ones. Now, why is this a headline? Because now let's do a contrast. I've talked about the Old Testament. Now, that covers a period from about, um, let's say, 1800 BC with Abraham uh, down through to about 500 BC, 400 BC with Ezra and Nehemiah. So that's a period we're talking about. Uh, really, that, that whole period, 1000 BC to 500 BC. How many names of anybody do we know in Britain from that period, from before the arrival of the Romans, in fact? Let's take it to the first century. How many names of anybody do we know from before the time when the Romans arrived? Britain had a big, there was a lot going on in Britain. Britain was a busy place. The archaeological record gives us lots of uh, you know, information about Stonehenge and Silbury Hill and hill forts and monuments and uh, the tin trade. There was a big uh, tin trade from Cornwall. Lots was going on, but we have zero names, no names. We just have no names at all. We don't know who these people were. We don't know what their names were. Uh, we, we don't have personalities. We don't have identities. So therefore, the contrast is we turn to the Bible and we find a book rich in historical material. 53 names is a lot of names for material that comes from two to three, well, 3,000 or more years ago. And, and the comparison with somewhere like Britain really emphasizes just how significant that historical material is. So, you know, that's the kind of headline that I would use to emphasize whatever the debates might be. The Bible is rich in history. It lends itself to testing and confirmation, and it keeps on passing those tests. That's really helpful, Chris. The other, actually, the other, um, the other archaeological kind of link to evangelism I, I came across. I had a friend of mine a few years ago who had uh, got herself. Um, it was a kind of uh, replica of a Roman denarius, you know, the the, the, the mm. coin from, from the time of Jesus, and had it as a necklace. And the starting point would be people would obviously ask what it was, and that's a great, you know, she would use that as a way in to go, oh, well, that's a, that's a Roman denarius, and you know, it's a, it's a coin that's mentioned there in the Bible. And that was a really cute little way of, of doing off piece of, of tutory. But that that yeah. evangelism link is the is the thing I'd like to just talk about perhaps in our last yeah. few minutes. So that, you know, obviously we need to be careful not to say too much. We can't as Christians go, there's some archaeology, you know, therefore the whole of Christianity is true. But yeah. of course, you're passionate about archaeology. You're also passionate about the gospel. You're a, you're an evangelist and you share your faith and uh, you're really so how how can we then make that link from hey archaeology is fun there's lots of stuff here what's the bridge that you then take people across into the jesus story because we don't want to, we don't want our friends just go away going archaeology is exciting we want them going away going archaeology is exciting but jesus is exciting so how do you get there that, that, that's great and that, that little illustration of the necklace is a good good way into thinking about this really because do you know what i would say about this this archaeology to evangelism link is actually the the proving of the bible is 
only one aspect and not always the most important aspect, if I, I can put it that way. Uh, proof is, is sometimes a very difficult thing because, after all, we could never prove uh, the entirety of the Bible. I mean, archaeology isn't really about that. In fact, in some ways, archaeologists are very um, uh, suspicious of apologetics uh, because what archaeologists often feel is that uh, apologists or evangelists are cherry picking the bits that fit and only using those to try and persuade. And, and that can actually be a misuse of archaeology. What archaeology can do in a, in a somewhat more, um, it may sound more limited, but I've, in my personal experience, found it really helpful. It intrigues people to want to know more about this person, Jesus, and about the Bible. Because what I find is that once you start to open up, that, hey, the Gospels give us these amazing little insights into the first century world. Lots of little details that give us insight into the world of Jesus. I find that people can be really intrigued to take the Bible seriously as history, even to read the Gospels in that way. I, I find people can be quite resistant uh, when the Bible is presented as a religious text. You know, if we're giving them the impression this is a faith text and it's a religious decision. The very word religion, you remember C.S. Lewis's famous line that the very word religion can paralyze uh, feelings. It can freeze, you know, people's emotions. Uh, it's, it speaks of stained glass windows or uh, hospital wards, you know, uh, whereas archaeology reminds us of the history, the, the kind of physicality of this. And so that sense of of drawing people into taking the Bible seriously as history and actually being fascinated now, not by the archaeology in itself, but by this person, Jesus. Because in the end, when we read about Jesus, the starting point is we're reading about a real personal history. And isn't it remarkable that 2000 years later, he continues to have this incredible global impact. Julius Caesar doesn't have that impact. Hadrian doesn't have that impact. What is it about this man, Jesus, who remains so magnetic and has transformed so many lives? So I find archaeology in, in that sense is a, is a way of intriguing people and drawing them in to taking seriously the person of Jesus. And then that's where I'd want to put the emphasis rather than rather than just trying to say we can prove everything about Jesus, because obviously, you know, that then in, is in danger of going beyond what archaeology can actually do. Well, Chris, that's fascinating. And I. And actually, I particularly love the idea of intriguing people. And I think sometimes when we go wrong in evangelism, we feel we have to, you know, dump everything on our friends straight away. But if we intrigue people uh, and then sort of see how the Lord opens things up. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating conversation. We have dug into, you know, a topic we haven't covered on this show before. See what I did there, Christy? I don't share. Drum roll. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being with us. It's been great to have had you as a guest on the show. Thanks, thank you, Andy. And to all of you uh, listening at home or on the car or on your run, wherever you're catching this podcast, uh, Chris and I have uh, loved uh, having you with us. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with a fresh guest and a new topic. So do catch us again on Pep Talk. Thanks for listening.